Father Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 14 reminds us that your word is like fire in our mouths. And Father, may that fire bring us to repentance this morning. May that fire reformed us, shaped us again to be more like Jesus. May that fire warm those hearts who feel cold and draw them to the cross of our Lord Jesus. So Father, may your word as fire warm our hearts, change our hearts till we see Jesus for who he is and come to love you and come to your cross. So Father, we lift up this time to you. We thank you for this time that we can spend examining, expounding and learning from your holy word. We ask that your Holy Spirit will speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher and author Dr. Hugh Litchfield, in his book, Visualizing the Sermon, talks about a time whereby he was just being a pastor, visiting the hospital. As he was visiting the hospital, suddenly a man shouted at him from behind. He says, hi, hi, pastor, pastor, do you remember me? And the man said, about 10 years ago, I visited your church and it was the most difficult time in my life because I was facing lots of uh, uh, issues in my life. I was facing jail time because of tax violations. I was in the alcohol. I was dependent upon alcohol. My family was in a mess. My wife was about to leave me. But I came to your church and I heard that sermon on that Sunday morning. And it did something to me. Because I decided to give my life to Jesus and turn my life around through his help. And I want to say thank you for your message 10 years ago. Dr. Litchfield heard this message, thanked the man that he went home from his hospital visit. He went to his church office, looked into his files and picked out the sermon 10 years ago that on the date that the man mentioned. And when he looked at his sermon brought out his file and the words were written on top of his sermon that he has written himself. Dead in the water, no one listened. What a waste of time. (laughs) He thought that the sermon was a waste of time. But yet God in his mercy, God in his grace used that sermon to change this man's life around. There is something powerful about God's word when God's word is being expounded and preached. Sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes even your pastor doesn't even realize that. And God does something with his word. This is what the book of Jeremiah is about. Jeremiah loves words. And that's why if you count the number of words, the book of Jeremiah is the longest book in the entire scripture. As a little boy, I never liked reading Jeremiah because I found him very repetitive and very difficult to read, very long with it. It's about the same thing over and over and over again. But as I got older, it's become my favorite book in the Bible. Jeremiah not only likes words, but he likes the word of God. In fact, Jeremiah always refers to the word of God in the singular. It's always word of God. It's always the boah. It's always in the singular. 
And what thus says the Lord is used the most time in any book in the Bible. It's used 155 times in the book of Jeremiah. The most you can find. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, you will notice that his words and God's words kind of intermingle. And sometimes when you're reading parts of Jeremiah, you think to yourself, is it God speaking here or is it Jeremiah? Or does it really matter? Despite the prolification of God's words and words in the book of Jeremiah, not many people respond positively to God's word. This morning we want to look at Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 1 to 13, the passage that Mick just read to us. And we want to look at why, and then what are the solutions then to these problems. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me, or turn on if you're using an iPad, um, turn on the word to Jeremiah chapter 38. And I'm reading from verse 1. Shephatiah the son of Matand, Gadaliah son of Pasha, Jehukai son of Shalamiah, and Pasha son of Melchijah, heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. They will escape with their lives. They will live. And this is what the Lord says. The city will suddenly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. Then the official said to the king, This man, that is Jeremiah, should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city, as well as all the other people, by the things he's saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. Jeremiah here is facing, towards the end of the life of the kingdom of Judah, um, the Babylonians were at their doorstep, ready to pounce upon them. And Jeremiah's message, which is the word of God to the people, was to surrender. Surrender to the Babylonians. You can imagine, Jeremiah is telling them to surrender to their enemies. This is such bad news to the people. They wanted some prep talk, some word of faith, some positive, uplifting news. But here was Jeremiah telling them to surrender to the enemies. So why were these officials upset and wanting to kill Jeremiah, to put him to death? Because he was discouraging the soldiers. In order to, in, instead of giving them a prep talk about how to have faith in God, he's telling them to surrender to the enemies. The people rejected God's word because they thought that God is not a kind God. That God is far too harsh. Thank you. There are many of us who also think that God is harsh, isn't it? Sometimes when we open up God's word and we think, Woo! This is all this negativism. Don't we all like something positive? Is God's word harsh? Two weeks ago, I was in Toronto visiting my in-laws. And I was sitting in a cafeteria reading the Bible, reading Jeremiah, in fact. There was a young man who walked past and he saw me reading the Bible. And he asked me, what are you reading? And I said, Jeremiah. And he, very excitedly, he said, have you heard the rap song, uh, Jeremiah 58, 6? And I looked at him and said, I think you mean Isaiah 58, 6. Oh, this guy was so excited. Woo, this is a Bible reading dude who knows rap music. <laughs> so he was so excited, he sat down and he began to talk to me. But just between you and me, I didn't know the rap song. 
But I know a little bit about Jeremiah. That Jeremiah doesn't have 58 chapters. So that was what I thought must be Isaiah that he was talking about. So he began talking to me about, uh, what are you reading? What's this book of Jeremiah about? And I began to explain and began to lead him and say that Jeremiah leads us to Christ and began to present the gospel to him. As I was telling him about the gospel, he began to ask me questions about sin and about judgment and about hell. And he, and he spent a lot of time talking about hell. He was so interested to talk about these things. And here was I, as I was talking to him and trying to explain things to him, getting a little bit frustrated. I didn't express this, but I was thinking to myself, we should move to the good stuff. We should move to the good stuff. <laughs> Quickly, we should move to the good stuff about the gospel. Why? Because deep in my heart, sometimes we feel that God is very harsh. That God is not kind. The, the officials in the book of Jeremiah during this time felt that God was very harsh. Why is God not encouraging me and giving me all this message about judgment and repentance? Is God really kind? But there is a second problem why people reject God's word. Not only did they feel that God is harsh, but let's look at King Zedekiah. He's the final king in the kingdom of Judah. Let's see why he rejects God's word. Verse 5, he said, he, Jeremiah, is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king has not, can, not, can do nothing to oppose you. King Zedekiah refused to listen to God's word because he was afraid of the officials. The king can do nothing to oppose you, the officials. To King Zedekiah, God's words plays a secondary importance because he valued the words of his officials more. Aren't we the same? Sometimes we don't believe in God's word because we value people's opinions more. Why? Because when we're in trouble, our friends can give us instantaneous advice when we call them on the phone. But God's word, ooh, all this history and all these prophets, really, does God really speak? We rather value what our friends say than what God's word say. So we will value the opinions of other people. Just like King Zedekiah, he refused to listen to God's word because he would rather listen to his officials. So what's the solution? Can God's word still be trusted? I want to bring out two testimonies, two people to bear testimonies to the power of God's word from this passage. I want to call them out want you to listen to the testimonies of these two characters. Number one, uh, the first person I want to call to give testimony is assistant. Let's look at verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Melchizedek, the king's son, who was in the courtyard of the guards. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. So the first testimony I want to call is the cistern. What's a cistern? A cistern is simply a, a bear-shaped jar that the ancient people would place underneath the ground in case there is a drought. So they have water. It's like a little well that you can have in the ground that's used to contain water in, terms, uh, in case of a drought. I want to notice three things that the Bible talks about, but this very special system. The first thing about this system I want to bring your attention to is that this system is located, the Bible tells us here in verse 6. Where was it located? In the courtyard 
of the God. They placed Jeremiah because they wanted to kill Jeremiah, so they wanted to starve him. So they lowered him by ropes into this little cistern or this little well, waiting for him to die there without food. And this cistern, the Bible tells us, is located in the courtyard of the gods. Why do they place this Jeremiah in this, the courtyard of the gods? If you've been reading the book of Jeremiah carefully, you will know that this place, the courtyard of the gods, is the place of shame. They wanted to shame the prophet Jeremiah. Because just a few years ago, before this incident happened, the Babylonians already came into Jerusalem. What did they do? They did not destroy Jerusalem, but they captured the king. The king was a young man, an 18-year-old lad by the name of Jehoiachin. They brought Jehoiachin and his mother, the queen mother, most likely he's not married at this time, being only 18 years old, and they stripped him naked, and they brought him to the courtyard of the gods, chained him, and, was, and then they dragged him all the way to Babylon. It was the place of shame. They put Jeremiah in this cistern in the courtyard of the gods to shame Jeremiah. How dare you bring such message of anger and judgment on us. We will shame you. We want you to die in shame. But if you read Jeremiah further on, everybody in the story will be shamed, but not Jeremiah. Despite being placed in the book in the place of shame, Jeremiah was the only one that was safe when the Babylonians came in the next time. King Zedekiah, who looked to his officials for advice, who looked to their officials for, uh, for, for his strength and all everything, was shame. Because the Babylonians are going to come in one more time. And they are going to capture Zedekiah and they are going to drag him to Babylon where they will kill his sons in front of him. And what will they do to King Zedekiah, the final king of Judah? They will gorge out his eyes so that the final thing that he saw will be the death of his own children. Zedekiah trusted in men, but his men failed him at the end. He thought that he could rely on his officials. But when the Babylonians came in, his officials could not help him. But what about God's word? I want you to notice the second thing about this system. The Bible tells us that the system had no water in it. There was no water in the system. Is this significant? Of course it is. Three times earlier on the book of Genesis, and um, the book of Je- Jeremiah, chapter two, verse six, chapter fourteen, verse one, chapter seventeen, verse eight, God says that if the people refuse to listen to my word, a drought is coming, and this drought will cause your cisterns to be dry. God's word is already coming true. Can God's word be trusted? Yes, God's word's already coming true. Then there is a third observation I want to see you about the cistern. We're told in verse 6 that there is mud in the cistern. What does that mean? That means that the cistern has already cracked. So that mud has already come into the cistern. 
is that significant? <laughs> Throughout the book of Jeremiah, how is God portrayed? God is always portrayed as the potter handling the clay. That's why we get the modern chorus, the potter's hands. God is always portrayed as the potter in Israel or Judah, the clay. But the clay has refused to listen to God's word so much that they have hardened. And not only have they hardened, they have hardened and they have been broken. And Jeremiah saw that way back in chapter 2, that the people will reject God's word. And not only will they be hardened, they will become broken cisterns. And this is God's word coming true. After almost 50 years of prophecy, the word of God is here for being fulfilled. The people are dry. And the system is already broken. Zedekiah wanted to trust in men. But the men all failed him. But God's word is still reliable. God says a drought will come. The people will become broken systems in Jeremiah chapter 2 to verse 13. And here God's word is coming true. Secondly, I want to draw a second witness to witness for us the reliability of God's word. The first is the cistern. The second witness I want to call upon is Abi Malak. The second witness I want to call upon, Abi Malak. So let's look at verse 7. But Abi Malak, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard what they had uh, heard that they had put Jeremiah into a cistern. When the king was sitting in the Benjamin's gate, Abimelech went out of the palace and said to him, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into the cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. Three times in this passage, we are told that this man called Abimelech was a Cushite. I think in the, uh, the ESV, it's called, um, uh, it's not called Cushite, uh, uh, the Cush, or the Cushite, as uh, Dr. J, uh, J. Daniel Hayes has rightly pointed out, is actually in Africa. So why have all these, well, all these people have rejected God? God chose a very, very unusual man to save Jeremiah. He was not only a non-Israelite, most likely he was a black African. And we are told that he was an official in the royal palace. That means that he was most likely a eunuch. A eunuch and also a black African to save Jeremiah. Why? Way back in the very first chapter of Jeremiah, God had already told Jeremiah, I'm going to give you a mission that is impossible to accomplish, but do not be afraid. Verse 8 of chapter 1 says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. That's almost 50 years ago or more. Now God's word has come true. God really honors his word. And God sends the most ridiculous and the most unsuspecting and the most unexpected savior to save Jeremiah. A black African and a eunuch to save Jeremiah. But I want you to notice the way in which he saved Jeremiah. It's very interesting. Let's look at verse 11. How did he save Jeremiah? 
They did not just pull him out. For us, most of us will think, okay, Jeremiah is now thrown into the system. The king wants him to, to be saved. So Abimelech just pulls him out of the system. But that's not really what happened. Verse 11. So Abimelech took the man with him and went to a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn out clothes from there and let them down with the ropes to Jeremiah in the system. Abimelech did not just lowered ropes and pulled Jeremiah out. But he actually found rags and worn out clothes and wrapped the ropes with these cloths and then and put them underneath the armpits of Jeremiah and slowly pulled him out. I don't know about you, but I think that's an act of kindness. It's something that mothers only think about, right? That when your son is has fallen, you do not just drag him out, but you take the most tender care to drag him out. That you do not just use ropes to drag out Jeremiah, you wrap the ropes with cloth so that the ropes will not cut into his armpits and hurt him and bruise him. And, and, and so you wrap, wrap the ropes with cloth and you slowly lift him up so that his armpits are not bruised so that the ropes not cut into his armpits and cause bleeding. I don't know about you, but that's such an act of kindness, isn't it? That only moms know about. And here we see the kindness of God. And here were the people doubting God's kindness. That God was too harsh. God is not too harsh. God even thinks about minor details about wrapping a rope with cloth and dragging them out. When I read that, it was like such good news. And God even thinks about things that only moms think about. And ultimately reminds us of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus not only saves us, not only saves a nation of people, but he comes to us individually and lifts us out of sin by the power of the cross. And he lifts us out regardless of where you are. He lifts us individuals out. The people thought that God was not kind. But God not only was true to his word, he is also very, very kind. Pastor Mick and I have a mutual pastor friend. His name is Graham Lowe. He pastors in a church at Ligon Street in Melbourne. One time he was telling me about a member of his church that would uh, go for that uh, dialysis at the Melbourne Hospital. He has some kidney problems that every time, every once in a while, has to go for dialysis. On the days that he goes to dialysis, this man would always pray that God would be kind to him. You see, at the hospital, there are two nurses that normally take care of him. One is very rude and very rough had little compassion for him. And the other nurse was very kind and would be gentle on him because his hands after doing dialysis for many times would all be bruised from all the injections and all the wounds that have been caused. So he's very, very tender, his hands. And every time when he go to the hospital, he would ask God to be kind to him, to send him a kind nurse. And he turns to Graham and asks him, do you think, do you think that God cares for prayers like that? Do you think that God who governs this entire universe, who makes sure that this world doesn't fall into chaos, do you think that God cares for little prayers like that for a lowly, retired person? 
person going to Melbourne Hospital and nobody seems to care that God would send him a kindness to God honor prayers like that. Is God kind? God is kind. God is kind enough not to hurt the armpits of Jeremiah. Who would have thought about that? God is kind. God is kind enough to save us individually. When nobody seems to care, God is kind. I've been reading the life of Gladys Elwood, an English missionary who went to serve in China. She was a failure in the eyes of the church and the mission field. She wanted to go, since she was a teenager, to serve in China. She candidated for a few missionary organizations, but nobody wanted her. They felt that she was a failure, and she learned language too slowly, that she would have no chance picking up the Chinese language, and she got an F. But she still wanted to go. But she didn't have money. And being a woman in the, the start of the 20th century was very difficult when you do not have money and you're not married. But she still wanted to go. She served in, in, as a housemaid from her teens into her late 20s. Finally, she saved enough to go to China. First time out of England. And she took the Trans-Siberian Railway all across Europe into China. If you know about taking the railway in the 1930s, you will know that it was extremely dangerous. You have to pass through Russia. During the 1930s, Russia was in a great mess. And it was a very dangerous ride. No woman would dare to venture on her own. On the train, when Gladys says goodbye to her family, she knew that she was on her own. She knew that there was no church waiting over in China to welcome her. No missionary organization will be there to say welcome to China. While many women at the time would travel to meet their husbands miles and miles away, she knew that there was no knight in shining armor waiting there in China to embrace her. She had no husband waiting there. She had no job, no church supplies, no one there. She knew that she was venturing on her own. She was sitting in the train, she was feeling sorry for herself and wondering whether God was kind. She was wondering whether God was kind. She noticed that there was a couple sitting opposite of her. It was looking at her and seeing her in tears. And the couple began to talk to her and she realized that they were, they just attended a, um, a, a conference, a missionary conference in Caswick and they were from Germany going home. And during that short ride, the couple befriended Gladys and they made her comfortable and talked to her tenderly, supported her, prayed for her. And as they were about to leave their train ride in Germany, this woman even gave her some money. And she said to Gladys, for the rest of my life, every day I will pray for you. That money later became very important because Gladys herself was almost captured and trapped by the Russians and refusing her to go to China. It was that money that later saved her. But was during that short ride on the train, Gladys' heart was delighted. Then she finally realized that even though it was a small gesture, but God was kind. 
In the midst of her darkest times, God sent a couple, Christian couple, to encourage her. You may be asking to yourself, is God kind? Yes, he is. And his word tells us that. Is his word trustworthy? Yes, even to the most minute detail about a system. Yes, his word is trustworthy. And he is kind. May his kindness, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, leads us to repentance. Father, we just want to come before you this morning and pour our hearts before you. Father, for some of us, as we think about the road ahead of us, we stand in trepidation. Can we trust your word? Can we trust Jesus to go with us? Many times we do not trust your word because we do not believe in our hearts that you are really kind and loving. That many times we refuse to trust your word because we trust humans more than your words. But ultimately human beings will let us down. But not the word of God. So, Father, we entrust our lives to you and to your kindness. The officials doubted you because they thought that you were too harsh. But when you treat, treated Jeremiah in such loving ways, we thank you that you even care for the little things in our lives, whether or not our armpits will get bruised. Isn't that amazing that God cares for things like that? So Father, we thank you for your kindness that you have shown to Jeremiah and the word that you have placed in his heart and his mouth. So Father, as we come before you, we pray that you would help us to turn to Jesus because at the cross where he died for us, is what kindness is all about. That he has come to save us. May the gospel that reveals the kindness of our God lead us to you and to repentance. Father, as we leave this place, may your word continue to burn in our hearts. May Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 14 be true in our lives. That the word of God is a fire in our mouths. So Father, we thank you for this time that we can once again love you and see you afresh in your beauty and kindness through your holy word. We thank you for Jeremiah 38 and the ministry of Jeremiah. We pray that your word and our words will become one. In his name we pray. Amen.